0: Man Stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Hello, America. Happy Saturday. Hope you're having a wonderful and blessed day. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and, and thank you all for tuning in for since our comeback. I think this is show eight or nine. I really do appreciate it, and I appreciate all the messages of support you've sent me. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent, but you stay for the principles. We have a jam-packed show for you today. I want to talk to you about some economics in a very brief sense. I'm not going to bombard you. I know it's seven days till Christmas, and economics tends to make um, some of your minds explode. But I want to talk to you about an issue that's going on. It's going on in your country, but the ramifications you're going to start seeing around the world. I also want to talk to you about an officer-involved shooting that the liberal mainstream media is silent about and it needs to be addressed and discussed at length. And I also want to then take it a bit easy on you because it is seven days before Christmas. I'm feeling jolly and happy and, but I do want to ask you some questions that I hope you will take some time out over the holiday period and and do a bit of self-reflection on. I don't know about you, but I'm so excited for Christmas. I, I don't know if you see it or if you feel it in your area, wherever you're listening, but... I don't know what it is. I'm. I. I was actually talking to my mother about this the other day. I'm really a simple-minded person. Um, you know, she made a joke. You know, the the secret to get John happy. You know, if you ever have to sell John on something, it's like just put a few lights on it. He'll he'll go for it. That really is my mind. I see all the lights and the magic, and uh, I don't like this time of year—the cold and the wet and the the the, ho- the horrible Irish weather but the lights man it's just it's dark at four o'clock and the lights are just magical and they're different colors and different shapes and different so it's just a magical time of year and also as an irish person you know you all have thanksgiving so you have turkey you've had turkey day um and you just get another one we haven't had it yet so i'm really looking forward to like a turkey and a ham we ordered it during the week and I'm so excited about it. I'm like, I'm actually literally, you know, everyone's, you know, kids are like having a countdown to when Santa's coming. I'm having a countdown to when I get turkey and ham and stuffing and gravy and cranberry sauce. Can't wait. That's what I'm going to do. I hope you, uh, hope you get to spend it with some family and friends, but I want to talk to you today. I want to start today's show. I want to talk to you about some economics and some people have asked me in the past privately, and before i came back why are you coming back why do you want to do your show what do you want to achieve and i have many goals for 2018 and 2019 and and going forward which we'll share at a different time but one of the things that i want to do is because i i see a deficit in society and i see a lot of people thinking their way of economics works When I hear Democrats talk today, they think their version of economic principles will work. When I hear Republicans talk, I hear the same thing. They think their version of economics can work. And the truth about economics is there is no version of economics for politics. Economics is a law, uh, just like the law of gravity, the law of chemicals, the law of science. It's the same for everyone. You can't manipulate the laws of economics to fit your agenda. It doesn't work. So there's laws and principles that are the same. They either work or they don't. But one of the things I also see is very few people today are arguing for a true free market system. Now, I'm not going to put myself in the league of, of some of the gents who have come before me. But this world is sorely missing a Milton Friedman is missing a Hayek, is missing a Van Mises. Their principles are lost on so many people today. And I want to break it down. I want to do my part to share those principles. And I want to do my best to share the free market principles. Because free markets is, sometimes a lot of people say free markets bores me. I I don't like when you talk economics. But it is so intrinsically linked to freedom. That is such a big part of your freedom. It's why I'm I'm a free market supporter, not a capitalist. I am a free market supporter. And we're going to explain the difference between those two philosophies next year. But onto the economics I want to talk to you about today, and I want to lay lay the groundwork for some shows next year. If you've been following the politics of the day, it looks, as when I'm recording this, it looks like Donald Trump is going to get his tax bill passed. Obviously, it depends on what's going to be in it. The House has passed their version. The Senate has passed theirs, and they're now doing reconciliation where they negotiate. It's gas, you know. The GOP controls the House, and they control the Senate, but yet they still have to have this process. And I, I don't know what's going to come from it. Um, i Am I thrilled with what I've heard? No. But full disclosure, I'm a, I'm a fair tax kind of guy, so I'm not going to hear a GOP tax plan that makes me go oh yeah i love that tax plan i i i really want to support that tax plan it just isn't going to happen maybe one day it will but it has a knock-on effect and you're seeing a lot of people be unhappy you're seeing a lot of the liberal talking points about you know it's it's going to raise the deficits i i find that ironic considering with the gop and the house and in the Senate for a couple of years, and under Barack Obama for eight years, they didn't care about the deficit, even though it doubled. It went from $9.6 trillion to $19 trillion. So I'm not in the mood to listen to their arguments about their concerns for the debt. But the impact of this is going to be felt abroad as well. Because abroad, a lot of people are not happy with this tax plan. Right now, there are people from five countries who are not happy with the potential tax plan that you're seeing in America. Those countries are the United Kingdom, France, Italy, Spain, and Germany. They've already written a letter, a combined letter, to the U.S. Treasury, uh, Stephen Munchen. Or, I think that's how you pronounce his name, if it isn't, I apologize. And I quote from an article over here, the Daily Mail. Europe's five biggest economies have warned Donald Trump that plans for massive U.S. tax reforms may end up violating international trade rules. Um, They fear the tax initiatives and fear they could harm the global economy. Uh, It seriously risks hampering. I'm reading from the article. I'm I'm skipping over the usual uh, parts you don't need to know about. It seriously hampers genuine trade and investment flows between Europe and America. Their warning mirrors fears among some European businesses that aspects of Mr. Trump's tax reform bills may have been designed to give American companies an advantage over foreign rivals. You can read all this article if you want. It's use five top economies in warning to Donald Trump. But what do I want to discuss to you about this? You've heard, if you follow your media an awful lot, you've heard different labels been used, and, and either correctly or incorrectly, but the term globalist. We're living in a global economy. The problem that we have right now is not that we're living in a global economy. If you believe in free markets, you actually want a free global economy where you know you choose everything that you have, whether it's American-made or Irish-made or, or Japanese-made, it doesn't matter. You have the final power. So if you believe in free markets, in a sense, you believe in a global economy. And therefore, to some people, are, are globalist because it's not America first or any country first. It's you decide. But what you're seeing right now especially when, you have, when you're dealing with socialist politicians, is we don't, they don't believe in competition. What they do is always seek to try and put out a boogeyman, in this case America, and go, you're doing something that's not right, and you need to stop. That is the problem that the philosophy of socialism, and one of the reasons I am not a socialist, I'm the furthest thing from it, And a lot of people who I know listen to this show are the same. They don't have any aspect to be better. It's always, well, you're doing something that we don't like, that's innovative, that's different. And we got to pull you down. we got to pull you back to us, back to our level. So it's a level playing field. But also why you have this is you have a system where... Not to get into the weeds of it, but this is the results of World War Two, and the not the, the the actual result of World War II, what happened after it. Where you had masterminds after World War II who said, do you know the only way you get Europe and the world not to be at war with each other? Is to integrate their economies. Where you have so much integration in each other's economy that you feel like you have a say if someone else does something to you. The fact that you now have ministers of other countries saying, you know what, Donald Trump, you don't have a right to to do this. It it goes against international protocol. It It will hurt free trade. The fact that you don't have the right to control your borders and the right to sovereignty within your borders is an erosion that is happening, not just in illegal immigration, but in laws, in customs, in finance. And it's a very troubling aspect that we need to address and address really quickly in the new year. But also there's another fact that always disturbs me. One of the frustrating things for me is when you hear about taxation, you never hear what taxation actually is. What taxation is, is a government or a union coming to you as an individual or as a company saying, you owe us X amount of money. Whether it's one percent, whether it's ten percent, whether it's twenty percent, whether it's fifty percent, and regardless, and I would say this about Republicans as well, because Republicans do, don't do this. They always treat that money as theirs. Their mindset is always. Let's just let me use the simple numbers. Right, you have a hundred dollar bill in your pocket, and you have to pay tax on that. Right, let's say you have to pay ten percent tax. Actually, no, that'd be, that'd be great. No one would do a 10% tax. Let's do 25%. The way they look at that money is that $25 is theirs, and they have let you keep that $75. you have never owned a $100 bill. It's just you, we have let you owned 75% of it. In this case, $75. But $25 of that $100 bill was always ours. It was never yours laws of ownership don't comply with that you might have to pay the bill but that hundred dollar bill is yours they always look at money as theirs and you hear this in the tax bill if you have a tax cut which basically let's just do it simple again that 25 you have that hundred dollar bill and you have to pay 25 dollars if a tax cut comes in And it's saying you now only owe 20%, which would be a $20 bill. Look at the way the language is formed around that. Imagine how the language would be formed around that by Republicans and Democrats. Instead of saying, we're taking less of your money because you own it, we're just taking less of it. It's, well, you cost the government $5. That tax cut cost you $5. Even though you didn't create it, in it anything, you didn't innovate anything, you didn't offer anyone a service. All you simply did was someone else created and innovated and earned that money and you come along and take it, but it costs you money. We need to make an argument and I plan on making this argument as best as I can in the new year for you. On why money is yours. If you go out and earn something, you have the right. Yes, the right to the fruits of your labor, whether that's a service that you you barter in between, or you barter products, or it's money, or it's cryptocurrency. If you work for something, it is yours. Now, we can argue about tax policy at a different time, but we need to understand that basis foundation for our arguments, which very few people today get. But also, there's this aspect Which I find incredibly funny because the biggest thing, the the, the proposed bills from reading them happen. The biggest change, there's some minor changes here and there. The biggest change is your corporation tax is going from 35% to either 20% or 22%. That is a huge cut and it will have huge impacts. And we'll discuss that in the new year. But basically it's bringing in line, the US tax policy in line with everyone else. The truth of the matter is, here's why they're upset. For a very, very long time, America has ripped off its own businesses. Yes, I said it. America has ripped off its own businesses. It has made it excessively expensive to operate a business in America. Let's just put this into context. Now, Ireland is hated for this on the opposite scale. Ireland's corporation tax is 12.5%. Just think of this from yourself. Which would you rather operate in? In a country like America, which has 39%, or a country like Ireland, which is 12.5%? Now, granted, there's a lot more for that equation, because America has a lot more materials, has a lot of access to more people, more knowledge, more experience than Ireland has. has. America has major advantages, but just on the tax policy alone. Ireland kicks America's butt, 12.5% to 39%. Now, all of a sudden, you might be leaning heavily towards Ireland, especially if you're a big multinational. All of a sudden, it's now proposed from 12.5% to 20%. It's still a difference, but it's not a big difference. If you're a company, you're kind of going, Ireland, America, twelve and a half, twenty percent 20%. Mm, I'll, I'll still stick with America. That is the equation that a lot of people are upset about. That is the truth of why these people are upset. Because they understand that if America actually goes through with this 20% and it's signed into law, it's going to affect their businesses. They're not going to be able to rip off their businesses anymore. Because, honestly, and I will say this, even though I don't support this bill, if America never did anything else at 20%, is the best place to do business. It probably already is. But 39% and all the regulations, which again we'll talk about down the road, make it hard. And it makes it hard to do business. And the biggest thing, if you believe in free markets, the biggest thing we need to do is not make it easy, because then you're giving a potential advantage to someone, but just get out of the way. Government's job is not to make business easy for people, it's not to make it hard for people. It's just to get out of the way and let people innovate. Because here's the great thing about people, about free markets. If you said to me, John, you know, explain to me in one sentence why free markets do you think are the best way forward? Here it is. Because you have movements around the world who claim to want to put power in the people's hands. You have Bernie Sanders, we want more power to the people. You have communists who say the same thing. You know, we the people, power to the people. You have constitutionalists saying it as well. Free markets is the only system that makes you, as an individual, the power broker. Because you have the power, not by your vote, or not by your living standards, not by your name, or your race, or your class. You have it in the almighty dollar. And what you spend it on is where you have the power. And then businesses and individuals have to compete for that dollar. So if you want to buy an iPhone, go ahead. You want to go buy the iPhone ten and wait a couple of months and have to pre-order it and pay X, you know, I don't know how much the iPhone ten is, what, seven or $800 probably? Or if you want to just buy, you know, you're like me and you're going to go, eh, phone is a phone is a phone. I got paid $20 in Walmart, $25 in Walmart and, and get a pay-as-you-go phone. That's what I did when I'm over there. And I use the same phone the whole time. It's very simple. Phone's a phone's a phone. And it's a Samsung as well that I have. I have no idea what brand. But same way with food. You have the power in your hand. You have the power. And nothing can control you. Nothing can control you because you decide. And I would take this on even smaller items. Take down, go shopping at Walmart. You're going shopping at Walmart or Target or Costco, wherever the hell you're going shopping for, um, for the Christmas. Wherever you go shopping, because there's so many of them. But let's just say, for example, you're going to Walmart you're walking down the aisle and let's just take stuff you buy every day you need to buy a bit of you need to buy a carton of milk you need to buy a loaf of bread you want to buy some from cranberry sauce and some gravy you have the power to buy them or not to buy them but you also have the power which brand you buy them and you're were, we're persuaded in different ways so you might go, you know what, I only want milk, and milk is milk is milk. It all comes from a cow. It's just different than bottled and, and treated different. So I don't really care. I'm just going to buy the generic whole standard milk, the most bog standard, which is the label brand. It's not a, it's not a fancy brand. You buy that. On bread, you might be particularly tricky because you might go, you know what, this bread is, is, is treated different, and it always seems to be softer and, and it has better flavors in it. I'm going to buy that. And then for your cranberry sauce, you might go, that has 30% less fat and I'm trying to lose weight and, you know, I don't want to put on a load of weight over it, so I'm going to buy it for that reason. Or then you might walk down the aisle and, you know, you need some, uh, some biscuits and there might be a deal there. You know, biscuits, buy one, get one free. And you're like, well, you know what? I don't normally buy that brand, but I'm getting one free, so I'll buy them. You've bought four different products for four different reasons. You have the power. It's not some some politician kind of going, You must buy this milk. And this milk is approved. And and you you're bu- you're not buying this biscuit because, you know, it's not fair. That it's not fair. Like that company offered you one free. That's not fair to the other biscuit companies. That that's that's an unfair advantage. You know, that what do they do? Well they have the right to do. They have the innovation. That's called promotion. Or you might buy um I'm trying to think of a product. You see this is where I'm, when I'm over in Ireland I lose all track. But let's say there's a you want to buy a bar of chocolate or, I'm really actually struggling for an example there, you know, some product that is endorsed by someone. Um, think of a bar of chocolate that's endorsed by your favorite sports star. Hey, I'm buying a bar of chocolate. Oh, my favorite quarterback who plays for the local football team has endorsed that. I'm going to buy it because of him. You bought it because of a promotion. The argument for free markets is always very, very simple. It's because it puts the power in your hand. Not in Donald Trump's hand, not in Paul Ryan's hand, not in Mitch McConnell's hand, not in a politician's hand, not in a bureaucrat's hand, but your hand. And I trust you to say, you know what's best for you and your life. You know what's best for you and your family. That is the argument for the free markets. And this is an argument we're going to make more and more in the new year. When we come back, I want to talk to you about a story that should be, if you believe in police, pr- police brutality, should be all over the news, but it's nowhere. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back.
0: stop the disease of progressivism liars by glenn beck on sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars freedom's disciple on demand on the blaze radio network
1: thank you so much for sticking with me america if you listen to this show in its entirety you will notice that there are certain teams that run through the show. I tend to avoid politics. I, I tend to focus very much on principles. I try and take the, the stories of the day and delve a bit deeper in them and, and give you questions to t- to think about and to ponder on. I also try and not share my opinion as much as other people do. I try and deliver this content, whether I am successful or not, but I try my best to deliver it in a way that makes you sort of provokes you and and sort of gives you something to think about so that you find out where you stand on the issues, not, well, this is where John is, stands, and this is where I'm going to stand. The other team is we finish the show the same way each and every week. One of the last things you'll hear me say if you listen to the full show is we salute our heroes, our police, our firefighters, emergency personnel, and your vets. We do that, have done that since show one. And some people don't get that. The reason I salute them is simple. It's two reasons. One, I salute anyone who does something that I couldn't do. I salute them because their very job goes against, in many ways, what common sense and what human nature would do. Let's take police. If you hear a gunshot in a public place, common sense is to run away. Human nature says run and run quickly. Whether you know it or not, that's generally what you will do. Police are the opposite. They're generally the folks running towards the trouble. Same with the firefighters. Look at a burning building. Everyone's running out going, Hey! get out of here firefighters are I'm going to run and I'm going to run into it and then the building is on fire and the off chance there might be someone in it, they're the ones running into the building to look and try and find that person and to try and save them everyone else is saying get the hell out of the building, get to the, the local fire escape and let's go let's get out of here same with vets they have to put up with so much. They go to places, hellholes, and I mean real hellholes around the world. You know, Afghanistan and, and places like Iraq are, are not exactly fun. And the fact that any matter, you could be just a vet sitting around or in the military sitting around, and all of a sudden you get the call going, hey, you know what, you've been deployed to so-and-so. There is no easy jobs. And also they work at a moment's notice. They can be called up at any time. Police can be called up at any time. It's, they're incredible men and women. And the great thing about it is, truly, as a unit, whether it's police, firefighters, emergency personnel, vets, you know, it's a blanket salute. It's not like, well, you know, I, I salute all the white police officers, and I, I salute all the white military men. Uh, and I salute all the the the, the under thirties, you know the the age, and I salute only the the straight ones, and I only salute only the Christian ones, you know. Where society is broken into into different parts, and and I only salute the Republican vets and the Republican firefighters, you know. Those Democrat liberal snowflakes, they they I don't don't, don't salute you. The one thing I love about them. Is as society keeps fracturing into different, you know, different groups and different labels, police and firefighters are usually the same. They're brothers, and I love that. The second reason I spend so much time saluting them and defending them is, is because we live in a society where it's popular to demean them, especially the police and the vets. It's popular. Oh, police, they They suck. I'm not going to say some of the other insults. If you've been around, you know some of the insults that people call cops. But as much as I admire them, as much as I salute them, it isn't a blanket, open invitation to do anything you want. It isn't a, hey, we salute the cops on this show, and they can do whatever they want. They have that badge, do whatever they want. Hey, oh, they hit them? Ah, Well, you know what, the guy probably deserved it. Oh, they murdered someone? Oh. Gal, you know what? It's a cop. He can do what he wants. We'll still salute them. As much as we salute them, there is a limit. Same with the vets. Because we have principles on this show. You have principles. They may not always line up with me, but it isn't an open blanket thing where they can do whatever they want and they will always be saluted. I came across a story which I can't believe this isn't national news. I came across this story thanks to the Daily Wire, an amazing site. But it's not, quote-unquote, mainstream. This isn't CNN or Fox. It's a great website, though. This is a story that if you believe in police brutality, if you're Black Lives Matter, you should be all over this story. You know, in fact, if ever there was a time to... I don't know, escalate things because of police brutality in society. This story is this. Do you know who... I I can never pronounce this guy's name. Philip Brailsford is? Philip Brailsford. Sorry, I'm pulling up the story. Is a former Mesa, Arizona police officer. That last week, he was acquitted of both murder and manslaughter. Did you hear about this story? Because I want to talk to you about this story. Because this is horrific. This is one of the worst stories I have ever heard. If you want to make a poster child of police brutality, and just like throw everyone under the bus, this is the story used. Because not only is there a transcript, there is a video of it. And... I would urge you, if you watch the video, if you're you're thinking about watching this video, proceed with caution, because it is very, very disturbing. So what are the facts of the case? What What is the story behind it? Well, there's this guy called Daniel Shaver. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Well, Daniel... Daniel wasn't acting very smart, shall we put it. And he was staying at a hotel, and he got very drunk. And this is back in January 2016, so what, 22, 23 months ago. And apparently there was a report put into the police that someone was pointing a rifle out of a window. Again, not a very smart thing to do. But Daniel was, he was very drunk. You have to state that, he was very, very drunk. He was highly intoxicated. And apparently, the rumor and the the witnesses say, he was messing around with a pellet gun. And he used this for his job. He was in pest control. Now, is this behavior type of good? If you're working in pest control and you have a pellet gun, you don't play around with it. Especially in today's world where... Actually, sorry, I'm not even going to justify that by saying in today's world. In any type of world, if you truly believe in guns, you know you don't mess around with them. Even if it's just a pellet gun, because while you may know it's a pellet gun, there's a chance other people who haven't got knowledge of guns and they just see a gun they're not going to know in a split second oh that's a pellet gun that 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 is no threat to me i'm totally fine now the guy's an idiot and acted like an idiot he acted irresponsible and especially as someone who does this in their job you kind of just leave your, your your work equipment your gun aside but anyway he was drunk very drunk again that has to be stressed so when you get this call... Imagine just thinking this... Because I always try and... One of the things I think there's a big deficit is... We don't actually think as a police officer is... So what I would ask you to think of is... Just think you're as, as you're a police officer... And you're just in your patrol car... Or you're just walk, driving around... Or you're walking... Whatever f- image you have as, as a policeman... Or a policewoman, And all of a sudden that call on the radio comes... you got to go to this hotel... There's 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 reports of a gun been uh, tro- uh, sh- appearing out of a window. Now bear in mind this is before Las Vegas. It's January 2016. You're obviously going to be on edge because you don't know what you're walking into. You don't know what situation you're going to walk in. You don't know who you're going to deal with. You don't know if it's a lone gunman. You don't know if it's multiple. You don't know even it could be possibly terrorist. It could be domestic terrorist. You don't know the agenda. You don't know the equipment they have. Do, do they just have a rifle? Do they have you know, multiple rifles? Do they have grenades? Do they have a machine gun? Is it automatic? Is it semi-automatic? Do they have guns? Do they have you know, a bit of explosives? You don't know. So these are all the questions running through your mind. You don't know the motive. And you get that call and you're going. And, of course, naturally, you know, you might think of you, any time you're walking into an environment, you may try and avoid it. But you're obviously going to start thinking about your family. Well, Jeannie, did I, is there I should have said to my wife? Or, you know, what happens if you had an argument this morning? You might have felt really bad. But you're walking into this situation and you're on edge. And you're all, you're, you're, you're just, you don't know what to do. And also, you're in a situation where there are civilians. You're kind of going, do they have hostages? These are all the questions, and probably a lot more, because I'm not a law enforcement guy. There's a lot of questions that you're running through your mind right now, and you're kind of going, I don't know what I'm going to be facing. Anyway, long story short, they get into the hotel, and they come across Daniel Shaver, and he's stumbling. And they come across him, when he stumbles out of his hotel room. And he's told to get on the ground. And he complies immediately. He gets down on the ground. And he attempts to follow instructions. And there are a lot of instructions. I'll give you some of the instructions that was yelled at him by the police officers. Lie on the ground. Put both hands on top of your head and interlace your fingers. Take your feet and cross your left foot over your right foot. Keep your feet crossed. Put both hands flat in front of you. By the way, how do you interlock your fingers and place your hands on the top of your head if you're then asked to put your hands flat in front of you. Kind of mix signals there from the policeman. What, do you, Which one do you want me to do? Uh, push yourself to a kneeling position. Uh, put both hands in the air. Crawl towards me. Stop. Crawl. Keep your legs crossed. Put your hands in the air. Keep your legs crossed. Crawl. Basically what they asked them to do was crawl towards him. Now, first things first, again this is coming from a long non-law enforcement person, but from have been around them and having and talked to them and understand some procedure that they should have had. If you watch this video, one of the things you'll clearly see if you watch and you see people who police in, engage with suspects is they generally get them on the ground. They generally, in, you know, issue some instructions, you know, interlace your fingers, put your hands, whatever they feel comfortable with. But then eventually the police person will go to the, the suspect and, you know, you know, maybe give them a pat down or, you know, put cuffs on them and, and then start that procedure. You don't see this. What they asked him to do was to crawl towards him. Now, what's happened here is basically, through all those instructions um, crawling towards him, and obviously, again, you do have to stress this, he is drunk. He is highly intoxicated. It seems that his pants start to fall down. And he reaches, again, human nature. Put yourself, if as a man or a woman, if your pants start to fall down, you don't think about it. Your hand just goes, maybe one hand or two hands, your, or your favorite hand goes just to pull them up. It's human nature. It's human instinct. He reaches to pull them up, and the officer immediately shoots him several times. What you see in this is horrific. Again, only watch this video if... If you don't mind being highly disturbed, or you're used to this, by or you want to be informed, but it's not an easy video to watch. Now, of course, what was the defense? The defense was, well, he reached for his waistband, and I didn't know. Again, from reading, and from researching, and from following police, again, there was ample time, if you watch this video, for the policeman to get him down on the ground, get him, interlace his fingers, get him totally, you know, non-compliant, and not a threat. And then to engage him, go forward to him, pat him down and get him in cuffs. If you do that procedure, there isn't an issue. This person and this cop, there's no issue. This this, this man is still alive. He acted like a jerk. But here's the question. Is acting like a jerk a death sentence now? But instead he pulled from his waistband. Now, even if you buy that excuse okay you buy that excuse well you know he followed all these instructions for a period of time he followed every instruction to the best of his ability i think again you watch this video you might have a different opinion to me but you follow it and you kind of go you see it it's to the best of his ability He is highly intoxicated okay now let's take this into consideration let's just use that defense he reached for his waistband it could have been a gun At what point in time the guy is down, full flash, highly intoxicated? What are the risks of something happening that you don't at least see what comes? Now, I will full disclosure say, if you pull a gun on a policeman, it's I have no t- I, I have no problem if you, if you're stupid enough to do that, it's a consequence. You don't pull a gun on anyone. But it's it's looking when you watch this video, you're like, oh my god, why did you do that? And it wasn't just one shot. What makes this even worse is a piece of evidence that wasn't shown to the jury. Two things. One, he was fired from his job several months ago. Now, why we don't know exactly why he fired him, it was under the category of unsatisfactory performance. But there was a piece of evidence... He had scrawled the phrase "your effed," "your effed," on the dust cover of his service rifle. That's quite an attitude to have, don't you think? Why would a policeman inscribe that on the dust cover of your rifle? Is that the type of cop you want? Why is this story not in the mainstream media? Why is it not in the national media? Why is there not protests all over this? Why is there not, I don't know, hands up, don't shoot, phony narratives out there. But this actually would be a narrative. I had my hands up, don't shoot me. I, I complied, don't shoot me. Why is that not in the media? Well, you might have guessed that one of the reasons was the victim was white. Now, we can play that card all day long if you want to. But what I would say is, if you want this story in the media, the people who should put this story in the media are those who defend cops all the time. That's why I'm discussing it. Because I'm appalled by this man's behavior. And I use man very, very lightly. Here's the thing. Here's the final point about this. I defend cops as a whole all day, every day. They're some of the bravest men and women of different races, of different colors, of different backgrounds, of different religions I meet. I think they are heroes in society. They can change the world or people's world at a moment's notice. But when there are bad cops, they are just like bad people, bad politicians, bad media people, bad actors, bad workers, bad employers bad religious people, bad Catholics, bad Christians, bad Protestants, bad Jews, bad atheists. There isn't a set of people on this world who are entirely all good all the time. And when they are bad, it is our duty and it is our responsibility to say, Hey, guess what? I defend police 24-7. You know this guy? I don't defend him. And here's why because it goes against our moral compass and our principles now we can have a discussion about this guy and say you know what this guy is a bad dude and it shouldn't automatically be well you know you're just opening the floodgates to attack you know to have a war on cops again no I've been principled there are no sacred cows it is not a blanket ban or a blanket amnesty for any group in society we must call out wrong when we see it And as someone who proudly stands with the boys in blue and your other heroes in society, this guy is not someone I stand with. And I will never stand with. Bad cops are like bad people. They need to be called out. They are no different. Just because they have a badge does not make them immune from criticism. Because here's the truth. If you want to be on sides on this issue, if you always want to be pro-cop, or you want to be anti-cop, I have no time for it. I'm sorry. I'm in neither camp. What I am is on principles. When people are right, I will support them. When people are wrong, I will speak out against them. Regardless of who you are. Regardless of what place you hold in society. And I hope, I can only hope, my fellow brothers and sisters who are conservatives, who are libertarians, will use this story and talk out about it. I know one has, I haven't been following politics too much, I know Matt Walsh has. And kudos to you, brother Matt. Well done. I know Matt Walsh wrote a great article, it's also on the Daily Wire, check it out. It's It's a great article. But we all must speak out and share these stories. And be the people who have credibility in society that says, when all other things are going wrong, I stood up to my own side. I didn't worry about the speck in your eye, I worried about the log in our eye, the people who I defend. This is wrong. And this result, where he was acquitted, is equally wrong. I don't know what evidence the judge and and the jury saw, but this guy belongs behind bars. It was an execution. And how this guy walks free, I have no earthly idea. It is a grave miscarriage of justice. And I'm only sorry for the victim and his family that no one is there to stand with him. Even though he acted like a jerk and he was wrong, acting like a jerk is not a death sentence. And it sure as hell should not be a death sentence ever in the future. Don't go anywhere, America. I'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple on demand on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. For the rest of today's show, I want to focus in on you and I want to share some some stories and principles with you just to get you to really self reflect on over this this holiday period over this Christmas period and for the new year and I will ask you and I've asked you this question different times over the over the last three years of doing this show of what's really important to you you know this christmas maybe take a few minutes out and go, what's really important to me? What What are my focus? What, what do I do that's really critical in my life? And what do I do that's uh, just not important? Because we are building up a culture of stuff that really isn't important. I want to share a story with you that comes from Russia, but it's a very... If you understand the principles behind this story which we'll discuss, it happens all the time. And it very much happens in America all the time. There's this guy called I'm really bad at pronouncing names. Carl Terishin. He's twenty one years old. He's a soldier. And basically what he has, if you look at his picture, he's on Instagram, he's famous on Instagram apparently. He's got bazooka arms. If you look at him, he's a really small, maybe not really small, but, you know, smallish kind of build guy. And he's got major arms. He's got bazooka arms. They're huge. They're enormous. They're bulging. And he's been posting on Instagram that his arms are about to fall off because of doctor's advice. He's going through a lot of health problems. Um, They're saying that, you know, they could fall off. They'd have to be amputated. But also saying he's got risk of stroke. Well, why would a big arms cause all of those health issues? There has to be some deeper meaning, right? Yeah, there is. He is making he is injecting himself with synthol, which is about 85% oil, 7.5% lidocaine and 7.5% alcohol. And basically what you do is you inject yourself with these things and instead of muscle being in your arms, it's oil and it gets big and gets big and gets strong well not strong but just it looks big and some people think girls like big arms and his body is way out of proportion if you actually see some of the videos that he shared but he's got big arms and he loves it and it's a big thing for him i want to focus in on two points for this let discuss with you one and this is not about him this is about society in general one is we are so much a society of instant gratification. Hey, I want that. I want it now. I want it now. I, I I want it. I want it now. We go crazy if things don't go happen instantly. We go absolutely bananas. We want it and we want it now. As someone who understand, I understand that I want it now. I'm going through a similar process, not as as him per se, but the I want it now. I'm. I've been on a nine-month journey to lose weight. I'm back in the gym and I'm training hard. I want my old body back. I'm lifting weights. But it's been a nine-month journey and it's going to be another at least 12 or 18-month journey to get where I want to go. Because not only do I want to lose weight, I want to get strong as I was 15 years ago when I used to actually weightlift seriously. One of the goals I've set myself... For 2018 is by Christmas next year, I want to bench press 400 pounds. I'm currently, my high this year is, t- and it happened about a week ago, it was 231. 231, so I have a long way to go. I nearly need to double what I'm lifting. Do I think I'll hit it? With hard work, I will. With dedication, I will. And if I'm not injured, I will. But it will take 12 months at least to hit that 400 pound goal. At least. At least. And it will take a lot of blood, sweat and tears in between. That's hard work. That's dedication. This guy just wants to pump himself and inject himself to get big arms. Instant gratification. His arms are currently 23 inches. That's huge. By, by, any, by any stretch of the imagination. That's probably around the size of Hulk Hogan's arms, for example. So like, they're pretty big. And he wants to get up to 27 inches. So it's considerable... considerable size of arms he wants. But he's not willing to put in the hard work. But there's another part of the story. If you read down all the way to the end... and I'll read out something to you... that is so troubling... that you see in society... all the time. What he wants... the reason he's doing this... is he wants 1 million Instagram followers... and he wants to become... He has an offer to become a porn star. You're risking your health. You're risking your arms and your body to get one million subscribers on Instagram. Now, I can't mock him. In some ways, deep down, whether we like to admit it or not, we are all numbers people. One million subscribers on Instagram... Okay. I, I can't mock him. I have never had an idea of getting 1 million subscribers. I don't have any ideas, goals of getting 1 million followers on Twitter or 1 million followers on Facebook. I, I don't get that. I also don't see people as subscribers or followers. I see all as, as family and friends, people who we interact and have a great relationship with. But in deep down, we're all part about numbers. You know, this show... I don't gear it towards anything, but I have major goals for 2018 of how many people I want to reach in 2018. So we're all part of numbers, but to get 1 million subscribers on Instagram, it kind of feels a bit, it kind of feels a bit empty, doesn't it? And then he wants to stop working and he's considering becoming a porn star. What type of culture do we want to live in? I asked this question several times But seriously, what culture do we want to live in? Is this the type of culture? The the great thing about the free market, getting back to economics just for a second, the great thing and the most frustrating thing about the free market is sometimes the outcome is really, really good and you're like, yes! But there's sometimes always where the outcome of free markets suck. Sometimes I would ask this question. And I, I'm not asking for government regulation or anything. But do you think someone who injects themselves, just injects themselves and gets bigger and bigger with oil in their arms and then maybe works in other parts of the body because he said he might do that because he's clearly out of proportion, deserves reward with to stop work and, and to become a porn star? Is that the, 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 the dream That I I made it because I filled my, I was willing to risk amputation and losing my arms by filling them with oil. That's how I made my, that's the key to my success. It's an interesting question to ask. But there's also another interesting question because deep down, I actually feel sorry for the guy. Because a point in time is going to come. Let's say this guy hits every milestone. He gets to stop work, he gets his million subscribers on on Instagram, and he does a porn movie, and he lives comfortably money-wise for the rest of his life. What skill has he done? What has made him unique? The only difference that made him unique was he was willing to inject himself with stuff with this this mixture, with basically 75% oil and lidocaine and alcohol, and willing to risk amputation to become famous. We see this all the time in society. We saw this most tragically earlier this year, in a story that we still don't have many details on, the Las Vegas shooting. It appears the motive of that guy was purely to be famous. This drive to become famous is incredible to me. I also wonder, when I hear people have been drive, driven to be famous and, and to be in the public eye, I always wonder, have they ever understood or have they ever really thought about the, the results and the responsibilities of being famous? Let me give you one example that you all are very familiar with. Glenn Beck. If a, an angel or a genie or whatever word you want to fill came down and said, "You know what, John? I'm going to give you Glenn Beck's life. Do you want it? No, <laughs> not a chance in hell. But John, it, you know you'd have ten million people to speak to daily. Yeah, I know. I don't care. I don't want it. But but you look at all the look at all the charity work that you're you're very passionate about. Look at the impact you'd have. You'd be able to help the Nazarene Fund. Yeah, I know. I'm I i would not want it personally. I'll find another way. For that, there's two reasons for that. One is because it would be a shortcut I'd be living someone else's life. But on the bigger picture, I don't know anyone who, if they truly understood Glenn Beck's life who would want it. You know, for many reasons. Let me explain why I say that. One is, I don't know how he deals with all the hate and the insults. I really don't. I, I don't know how you'd measure the most hated people in the world, but he has to be, he isn't far off, let me tell you. And if you want proof, just go look at his Facebook post. You still see to this day people going, do you regret not supporting Trump? And you're never a Trumper, and I hope you fail. And you have people slagging him on his looks, how fat he is, and his he's going whiter. You have people slagging him on his faith. You have those who slag him because he's a former alcoholic. You have people saying the most vile things on Facebook and Twitter. Could you put up with that 24-7? Because I, I know if, if I was him, I'd be tempted to lash out. A lot. I'd be tempted. But also, I haven't been around Glenn, knowing the security he has and the reasons he has it. There's a real sad part to that life. Now, obviously, he's very fortunate to be in a position to have security. Others who need it really sometimes don't. So he's very fortunate in one way. But not having, that, not having that privacy, having security at your home, having security at your work, having security everywhere, having no privacy. There's part of that life I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. But yet we are driven by fame. How many people in, in talk radio who are in my industry just want to be famous? I can tell you there are quite a few. I know them and I've worked with some of them. All they want is to be famous. They don't care if they change the world. They just want to be famous. What type of world do we want to live in? I would take that one, to one last place for you. Go back to economics. You know, there's a t- this time of year... A lot of people buy a real Christmas tree and one of the things I love about life and this is some people ask me what do I do for fun I look at things in, everyday, in our everyday lives and try and come up with stories for them and try and learn something from them you can learn so much from a Christmas tree if you really understand it and what it took to get it to your house because what it takes in emotional terms is self-sacrifice and an understanding that what you do, you may never receive the rewards for. But you still do it anyway. And the average Christmas tree takes between 8 and 10 years to grow. 8 and 10 years. Obviously, some of them, if you're wanting the really tall ones, probably take 10, 12, 14 years. But the average one takes 8 to 10 years to grow a Christmas tree. In a couple of weeks, or maybe a month, or maybe it's already happened in some places, all those Christmas trees that have been cut down need to be replaced. The tree farmer, the tree, the landowner, has reaped the rewards from those trees. He has sold the man for a profit. He has made money. He has money sitting in his hand, or in his bank account, or in a cryptocurrency if he's smart. And he has to make that decision of going, you know what? I need to go buy seeds and plant more for eight to ten years down the road. I may not be around in eight to ten years. Heck, I might not even be around next Christmas. But I have to make that sacrifice. I have to be forward planning enough to look and kind of go, eight years time? If I don't act right now, eight years, I'm in a lot of trouble. Eight years, I'm in a lot of trouble because I have nothing to sell. And if I have nothing to sell, I have no money coming in. And if I have no money coming in, how do I feed my family? There is something amazing about farming. Because you understand you always have to be investing in the future. You always have to be investing in yourself. You always have to be understanding that you are not really in control of your destiny. That Mother Nature is. Mother Nature plays such a key part in our environment. But you have to willing to invest. How many people right now, and I don't care what age you are, what race you are, what gender you are, who you sleep with, how you vote. How many people now are understanding of the future? And kind of going, I need to, what I need to do is I need to plant some seeds right now. And I may never reap the rewards of them. How many people today, if you said to them, you know what, what you plant today, you will never see the benefits of, do you think they'd plant them? How many people are actually thinking even eight years from there? How many people are thinking, you know what, what life is going to be like in eight years? I need to start planting some seeds. Or are we all about instant gratification, all about ourselves and all about winning right now? As you get to this Christmas season, think about that and ask yourself, what seeds are you planting? Maybe not for eight years down the road, but what seeds are you planting for tomorrow, for next week, for next month, for next year? What seeds are you planting for 2019? Because here's the truth. If you're like me and you find the time flying, I'm amazed that 2017 is gone. I cannot believe Donald Trump is in office one year. It's incredible to me. It's over a year since Hillary Clinton lost. I can guarantee you, if you share that feeling, we will be sitting here, please God, next year, Christmas 2018, going, where did 2018 go? And I can almost guarantee the same, if we're still lucky enough to be here. In 2019, we'd be going, where did 2019 go? What seeds are you going to plant? Are you going to be selfless and plant seeds, even though you may personally not reap the rewards for Think about that question over Christmas and over New Year. And if you believe in New Year's resolutions, maybe make a New Year's resolution kind of with a bit of selflessness in mind, with a bit of forward planning in mind, and start planting a little seed. Because here's the last thing I'll leave you. We are so caught up in today, it's sad. If you think about, visualize in your hand right now, there's only one thing in your hand in front of you. It's a little seed. And that seed is to grow a Christmas tree. So many people right now will look at that seed going, that seed can't change the world. It's a seed, John. What can a seed do? I am nothing. I am. It's insignificant. This world is huge and big. And you're talking about a little seed? But you plant that seed, and you plant it in good soil, and you nurture it, and you water it, and you look after it. And all of a sudden, that seed is a 10-foot, 12-foot tree that all of a sudden is no longer as insignificant as that tiny seed. So many people today say, I can't change the world. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. But you're so focused on the little seed that you think you have that you're kind of looking at my seed and kind of go, I only am a little seed. I can't change the world. I'm pale and significant to everyone else. If you plant your seed and you look after it and you share it and you're selfless and you don't seek, to re- seek the rewards yourself, you will change the world. Because if you plant that seed, you can become that 10, 12 beautiful foot tree. That can be you if you have the right idea, if you have the right principles, if you have the right conviction. And if you truly believe that you can change the world, that is what you can change into. I hope you think about this over the Christmas period. And again, if you make New Year's resolutions, I hope you think about this and maybe make a New Year's resolution based around the seed you want to plant. Whether it's for your family, whether it's in politics, whether it's in life, whether it's in your community, whether it's in church, whatever it is, plant a seed, a new seed. Don't go anywhere. When we come back, I want to share some Christmas thoughts with you. I've got a couple of thoughts just to finish up the year with. Don't go anywhere, America.
0: This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple on demand on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Thank you so much for sticking with me today, America. I really hope today's show has given you something to think about. Before we finish up for today, I wanted to just give you some programming notes and say that this is actually going to be the last show for 2017 we're gonna take a couple of break weeks break for christmas i i'm i'm guessing y'all have better things to do than listen to me rant and rave on a on christmas eve and then on new year's eve i'm guessing y'all might have some family commitments or you gotta eat some food or gotta get some turkey and ham cooked and on new year's eve you know i sure as hell wouldn't want to listen to me on new year's eve so we're gonna take a couple of weeks break i have some Final planning to do for this show in january but we'll be back the first weekend in january i cannot wait and um, that's when the real work starts this, all i've done for the last couple of weeks been back is i'm trying to lay some foundational seeds on different topics for you for the show's going in 2018 i have a good few shows already pretty much noted up and ready to go i just have to record them for 2018 but we're going to be focusing heavy on principles and my focus is this I wanna break down all the arguments the way I see the world today I wanna break them down into very simple language and share them with you and discuss them with you in the hope that you go then take them and you go share your arguments with other people and that we change the world that way it's gonna be a very slow build it's gonna be a very slow burner but that if we start making the argument for freedom again, for free markets again, that this show can grow, but also that you can have an influence in your circle of friends, in your society, in your church, in your community. That is what I want to do. I don't want to waste your time with stuff that's not important or stuff I'm not good with. I'm not going to talk politics with you. I've got to be honest. I know next year's midterm elections, you won't hear very much analysis from me unless there's a principle that needs to be discussed. So we'll be back in January. I cannot wait. But before we go, I want to have, just share a couple of final thoughts with you. And it sort of follows on from what I just spoke about, about the Christmas tree, about the, the seed growing and about the behavior. A couple of things I'd ask you also to think about this Christmas. One is a religious story. And just look at how much we've changed you know, we can focus in different religions, focus in on different people and, and put significance on different people in, in the Bible and different characters. The one story I'm always amazed at every Christmas, you know, I, if you're a long-term listener, you've probably heard me share this before. But it's the story of Joseph, the story of how and how he acted after you know, he was dating Mary and they were a couple and then Mary fell pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And back then, you know, you kind of would separate because of that. And how he handled himself. He handled himself dignified. He dismissed her quietly. He moved on. I don't want to focus in on the rest of the story, but just focus in on that part. Imagine if Joseph lived in 2017 and and the birth of Jesus happened. And that story happened. Can you imagine how the average person would act today? There'd probably be a Facebook video, there'd be a viral Instagram post, there'd be tweets, there'd probably be a fancy hashtag, there'd probably be a vile hashtag as well. Imagine how people would react. One of the things I love about that story is how he did things privately, did things quietly, it wasn't to make a big show or it wasn't to make Mary feel bad, it was just okay, this is the way it happens, I'm going to dismiss you quietly now obviously they get back together and you all, you all know the rest of the story but just on that part one of the things that's frustrating me is we're seeing so much hate out in the world today we saw hate last week earlier this week in New York City yet again, thank god there was no one killed we saw brutal hate in terrorism and it's becoming all too familiar that every so often we have to talk about terrorism because another person thought it'd be cool to blow himself up or blow other people up or kill other innocent people. But we're also seeing hate just in our everyday lives. You saw the vile, and I don't know, I don't think I've ever watched anything she's in. I don't even know what she does. But you saw the vile Chelsea Handler um, do a skit on the press secretary, Mike Huckabee's daughter, I I can't even remember her name, Huckabee Saunders is her name, I can't remember her first name, sorry. But a vile sketch. I watched about 30, 40 seconds of it, it was disgusting. Fat shaming, beauty shaming, just destroying the girl. Why? Because she disagrees with her. And part of me was delighted that everyone called her out. Called Chelsea Handler out going, and so much for being, you know, not fat-shaming people, not body-shaming women, you know. So much for, you know, supporting women and being a feminist. And there was a lot of, you know, calling her out, which I welcome. But the frustrating thing is, for me, is that we, are, we condemn people like Chelsea Handler. Because they didn't, she attacked someone on our side and we think it's wrong. Yet so many people today will just insult other people. It's just commonplace. You know, and I'm just going to focus in on my friends on the right. You know, you'll get mad about Chelsea Handler, and rightfully so. But then probably five minutes later, you'll call someone a snowflake or a libtard or, you know, you'll call them a... You know, I've seen this an awful lot lately, you know, you spell Democrats and you you capitalize the R-A-T-S. You know, all this baloney, all this insulting, what's it going to gain? So there's a reason I stay away from it. I don't see any net benefit of it. But the other thing, and I'll leave you with this thought, and it's a bigger thought. Here's a question for you. Why is someone a hero? Or if you you want to bake it about religion because it's the time of year, why is someone a saint? What do they do in their life to become a hero? What do they do to be be called a saint? Some people do incredible things that are just so noteworthy, so amazing. It's just one event, and they're just known for that one event, and they get it. But if you research enough history and look at heroes, you tend to find the people who we revere right now let's just make this about American history people who you revere people like George Washington people like Ben Franklin people like Thomas Jefferson people like James Madison people like even though he was a very complicated character people like Thomas Paine people like Abe Lincoln people like Calvin Coolidge people like Ronald Reagan why are they heroes Are they heroes because they changed the world? Or are they heroes because they just did a lot of small things really well? But what was expected of them? In many ways, if you want to be blunt about, let's just, let's just focus in on one, George Washington. If you want to be blunt about it, all George Washington did, and he's a, one of the greatest men who ever lived in my opinion, all he did was what was right. That's all we ask of people. You know, we're not asking for anything extraordinary. We're just asking to do what's right. To stand up when you need to stand up. To be counted. To lead. But I also think it's a lot deeper. Because what I think you find among heroes is something that differs between heroes and average people. They did what was right Regardless of the personal consequences. So many people I talk to today think freedom is wonderful. Until freedom goes against them, or freedom hurts them personally, then all of a sudden, oh, am I really? Oh, I don't know if I'm for that freedom now. And all of a sudden, the conversation changes. It's easy to be for freedom when it goes your way. Let's just take one example that you see in society. Everyone loves to say, "I'm for freedom of speech." Mm-hmm. Then someone says something that we don't like and makes us go uncomfortable, and we're like, "Ooh, ooh! Can you say that? Ooh, ooh, ooh! I don't, I don't know whether you should be allowed to say that now. That, that, that's pushing it, buddy. You're like, I thought you're for freedom of speech. Yeah, but that speech, mm, I'm, I'm not so sure." Is that speech protect? But it's freedom of speech. We see this all the time. Free markets. Everyone, Some people who love the idea of free markets, then all of a sudden, when it goes, you know what, there's a chance a robot might take your job. Well, I'm, uh, you know, the government has to do something about that now. You can't have robots taking people's jobs. <laughs> really? Sometimes the simplest question for what makes people heroes in my eyes is doing what is right regardless of the personal consequences. Knowing that it is fundamentally right in society. It is an eternal truth and we've got to live to it and we've got to defend it and we've got to support it even if it hurts me personally. But also there's another trait which is linked to that. Heroes are never the people who go, look at me, I'm a hero. You know, look at me, I'm, I'm, I'm in the public eye, you should admire me because I'm a hero. They're not the people who generally go looking for attention. They're not the people who go, go look at me, you know, and, and they, ha- they puff their chest out and, you know, they give that look like they're Superman, you know, look at me, I'm awesome. Look at me, love me, admire me. They're not those people. They're not the people who go running looking for attention. They're usually the people who expect and really demand they don't get any attention. They're just willing to know and act that maybe the results of them might get them attention. That's more for politicians today than and the media today. But heroes don't brag about their heroes. As someone who is blessed to know many people in the military, they're a great example. Why do I salute the military so much? Maybe more than any other department in America and in the world. Because I've never met. And maybe there are I'm sure there are some people out there who you go, well, you need to meet this person because they're exactly what you just said. But I've never met a military person who went, yeah, I served, and look at me, I'm awesome. I I did two tours in Iraq, and and, you know, you should be thanking me. You know, I I did this, I I fought for your freedoms, and and you owe me, buddy. Look at me, you should, you you know, I I deserve a medal. You know, and and if they get a, a medal or, you know, a medal from the president. I've never met one that would go, Yeah, damn right, you, Mr. President, you give me that medal. I'm deserving of that medal. You owe me that medal. And the American people owe me this. I've never met a veteran who said any of that. In fact, the vets I've met are the exact opposite. They're like, I got a medal. For what? Doing my job? That's a quote from someone. I've never met a vet who didn't want to go back out and help and serve. We can learn so much from our vets. You know, in fact, we can actually learn so much. I spoke about being selfless earlier on. You know, I actually think part of the problem that America has right now with the VA is because more vets, so many vets are so humble and so quiet that they don't wanna make a big deal out of the VA because they don't really feel entitled to it. I actually think if if the vets were more selfish and more demanding, the VA wouldn't be an issue. The VA would be fixed. But because they're so humble and so quiet and so heroic that they don't want any attention, they're like, "Mm." the VA can just screw them every day they want. The system can screw them any day they want. So I'd ask you to think about that. Why? What makes someone a hero or a, super, or a saint or a superstar? And I'll leave you with this. You can change the world. You're going to get sick of me okay. saying this to you. This is a spoiler alert for 2018. I've, I would say if you count all the words I'm going to say to you in 2018 and going forward, the most repeated phrase you will hear me say to you until you believe it and until I believe it is you can change the world. You can change the world. If you're sitting at home right now going to the following question, can you be a hero? And your answer is no. You're already halfway on the journey to becoming a hero. It's the person who's sitting at home going, can you be a hero? And going, yeah, I can. Yeah, I'm a hero. They're the people who are not heroes. Now, you may think you have the potential to be one, and that's okay, but if you're sitting at home, yeah, of course I'm a hero. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I do? I'm a hero. They're the people who are never heroes. But if you're sitting at home going, I may have the potential, if you have a lot of confidence and a lot of belief in yourself, or if you're the person who's sitting at home going, I could never be a hero. You're the people who will be heroes. You may be a hero to your kids, to your grandkids, to your church, to your community. But you change the world. You will change the world. Because it's what seed you start planting right now and in the year ahead that will determine America's future next week, next month, next year, or 10 years from now. All you have to do is do the right thing, regardless of personal consequences. That sounds easy, but it's damned hard. Our world proves it. But you can change the world if you choose to. We finish the show the way we finish every show, America. I cannot believe it's Christmas. I wish all of you who listen, I wish all of you and all your families a very happy, peaceful and joyful Christmas. And I wish you nothing but the best for the new year. And I cannot wait to join you again in January. As we chart this course together to truly explain why America is an exceptional idea and why each and every one of you is in charge of your life. Because at the end of the day, it all boils down to this America. The sentiments of Alexis de Tocqueville. America is great because Americans are good. America is great because Americans are good. Never, ever, ever forget that. And lastly, we salute the real heroes in society, our police, our firefighters, our emergency personnel, and your vets. The men and women of all races, of all backgrounds, of all sexualities, of all religions, of all political affiliations, who risk their lives 24-7 for a brighter tomorrow. Never, ever forget them. Have a wonderful and blessed Christmas, and I'll see you in January. God bless, and God bless America.
0: Freedom's Disciple, with Jonathan Dunn, On Demand. The Blaze Radio Network.